Amen. Uh, the book of Revelation and chapter 20, starting in verse 11. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of the great day of the Lord, or the day of judgment. So let's go ahead and read these verses here. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So like I said, I want to speak to us tonight on this subject of the day of judgment. And there's a quote from Paul Washer that I like. He, he has this quote where he says that we live between two great days, the day Christ hung before men and the day when all men will kneel before Christ. And I like that because it puts our life you know, in perspective. We're living between the time of when Christ was humiliated and was humiliated on that cross, died for sinners, and was buried in a tomb and was raised. And we live between the second day in which all men are going to be gathered before him you know, as king, as judge. And so the first thing I want us to consider tonight is this, that God has a day. God is determined to have a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the Bible calls it a lot of different names. It's in the Old Testament repeatedly. It's in the New Testament repeatedly. Jesus talks about it. Uh, it's literally all over the Bible, and it's called many things. It's called the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of reckoning, the day of judgment, and many times the prophets, they would just refer to it as that day or the day, um, just that they, they knew that their, the people that were listening to them would know immediately what they were talking about. It's, it's the day that sets all other days apart. You know, I mean, it's, it's the most in, important day of every person's life is the day of judgment. It's the day to which all of human history is moving and it's going to culminate and that day is going to bring everything to light. Uh, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. <laughs> Paul's preaching on Mars Hill here. And in verse 30, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Everybody, everyone needs to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So Paul's preaching to these people and he's saying, look, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins because there's a day. God has fixed this certain day and he's going to judge you one day. You're going to stand before him and be judged. 
It's been fixed by God. It won't be postponed. It won't be moved back. It won't be forgotten about. You know, whether, whether you're a Christian here tonight or not, or whether you're lost, it should always be in the back of your mind. Your entire life should be lived with this thought that at the end of all of it, there's this day coming, the day of judgment. And I, I would suggest to us that one of the reasons there's so little fear of God in blatant sin is because this doctrine is all but lost among evangelical circles. And instead, what's been presented a lot of times is a lopsided view of God that um, overemphasizes him as being fluffy or, you know, the, the loving nature of God, but ignores this aspect of his holiness and his righteousness and that he's a judge. And so people are emboldened. You know, I mean, as this kind of diminishes and people don't think of God this way, I mean, they're emboldened to commit things that, you know, 50 years ago they would not have done or things that have been shameful 50 years ago are nothing now because this concept in, in large part has been lost. I mean, we know it's been lost in the liberal churches. You know, I mean, they would never talk about these sorts of things. But even among evangelical circles, it's, you know, it would be offensive and rare in a lot of, you know, Bible-believing churches to, to, to preach on the Day of Judgment. You see, it's not popular, and people will be turned off, you know, and you won't be able to have a great ministry if you, if you preach the Bible as it really is, as you preach God as he really is. But we don't want that, do we? We, we want the truth. We want, we want to know what's real. We want to know the God of Scripture. We want to know God as he really is, as, as he's revealed himself to be. So who is this God who's presented here? Go back to Revelation chapter 20. What is this God like? Well, it says here that this God occupies a great white throne from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. So earth and heaven is fleeing away from this God. It's the Lord of glory. And he's occupying a throne of greatness. And the Bible says the throne is white because God is pure. He's holy. He's, he's without sin. He's without any taint of, of darkness in him at all, without any evil. He's perfect in his moral judgment. He's perfect in his righteousness. And who's the one that's occupying this throne? Well, the Bible's clear. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. God's determined that he should be the one that's going to judge all people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So it's Christ, the God-man, who's sitting on the throne. 1 Timothy 4.1, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. This is the one whom John spoke of, that he, he, he got a glimpse of him in his glorified state, and he fell down at his feet as a dead man. And it says, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. I like what Matthew Henry said. He said that it's a dissolution of the whole frame of nature. I mean, it's like when God, when Christ sits upon his judgment throne, all of reality is upheaved by his presence, by his holiness. It's like, goodbye heaven, goodbye earth, but there you are, still there. God's making you stay there, you know, to stand before him. The Bible says the mountains melt like wax before the presence of the Lord. It says that the voice of the Lord breaks up the cedars of Lebanon. You know, the people on the mountain, they said, don't, you talk to us, Moses, but don't let God talk to us anymore. If he, if he talks to us anymore, we're going to die. 
I mean, this, this, this holy God. And he's the judge who has taken his seat and court is in session. Uh, turn with me to the book of Nahum. It's a minor prophet. Right after the book of Micah in Habakkuk's after Nahum. I like these verses here um, because it kind of gives you this, this picture of God, the, ju- the righteous judge. Nahum chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He's just. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies into darkness." So, I mean, you have both the, the glory of the holiness of God, the justice of God. He'll, he'll, he'll by no means leave the guilty unpunished, and yet you have the mercy of God wrapped up in it as well. He's a stronghold for the, those that take refuge in him for the day, in the day of trouble. So this is the God with whom we have to do. This is the God that we're going to appear before, whether you're lost or whether you're saved. It's this holy God of the Bible. It's the Holy Christ that we must stand before. Back in Revelation, the question then then is, who will be there? And he says it. He says, and I saw the dead, the great and the small. You may be known by millions of people. I mean, you may be great, you may be world famous, or you may be known by only a handful of people in the whole world but you're both going to be there. I mean, you, you may have all the riches that anyone, you could have as much money as Trump has, but he's still got to go there. <laughs> he's going to be there on the day of judgment. Or you might be the poorest of the poor. Think about this. Adam will be there, the, the first man. Eve will be there, the first woman, the, the head of the human race. David's going to be there. Paul's going to be there. Kings will be there, presidents. But think about this. Your neighbor is going to be there. Your barber is going to be there, your teacher, your doctor, your mom, your dad, your children, your brother, your sister, and finally, you, you're going to be there. And, you know, I feel like it's the same thing about not believing we're going to die is we don't really believe that we're going to be there. You know, I mean, that you just can't even imagine it. You, just you, before God, just a few more days, and you will be standing before this throne 
John is seeing you here. When he, he's, he's saying, I saw this vision. I saw the dead. I saw these people coming up out of the ocean and out of hell and being gathered before the judgment seat of Christ. He's, he saw us. He saw p- people like us. You know, people spend their entire lives ignoring God, ignoring their conscience. They ignore the pleas of Christians. They laugh at it. They, they write it off. Um, you know, they, they pretend, pretend like it's not true, pretend like they're not going to die, pretend like they're not going to have to face God, and yet it's going to come rushing in on them like a freight train. I mean, it, it will be horrific to be brought before the, the all-seeing eyes of God, before Christ. The next thing I want us to notice in our text here is that judgment will be based upon our deeds, the things that you did, the things that you thought, the things that you said, the words that you spoke, the, the motivations of your heart. That's what's in view here. He says, it, he says it twice, actually. He says that they're gathered. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. What are all these books that are being opened all of a sudden? And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And then verse 13, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Judgment will be based upon deeds. So the books were open. What does that mean? I think what it means is, is it's, a, it's the book of God's omniscience, right? I mean, it's, the, it's a accurate, perfectly detailed account. I mean, down to the, every thought that you ever have. Every motivation you ever had for doing something is recorded in these these books, whether it's symbolic or real, I don't know. It doesn't matter because God knows. I mean, it's real. It's recorded before God. The things things that we did, our deeds, all of it's going to be opened up. All of it's going to be disclosed like an open book. And actually, the Lord Jesus, he, he he preached this. He talked about this in his ministry. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Just a couple of verses in the life of Christ here. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So you have people that say one thing and they do another, they're hypocrites. Why, why should you be aware of that, of being a hypocrite? <clears throat> but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. He's saying, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. That's the last thing in the world you want to be as a hypocrite because one day God's going to bring it all out there on the, all out on the table publicly before everybody. And it's the last thing you want to be. He's saying there's nothing covered up. I mean, the, the, the most secret things you think no one will ever know about this or no one will ever know about that. People, people actually think that. You know, I mean, people get away with murder. They live the rest of their life and they think they got away with it, right? I mean, they think that, hey, that's it. You know, I got off scot-free. But the truth is, they didn't. I mean, what this means is no one's going to get away with anything, ultimately. 
God's going to have his day. God is determined to have his day. Uh, Flip over to Matthew chapter 12. In verse 33, we're still talking about this idea of how judgment will be based upon your deeds, the things you did in your life. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So you see this juicy, you see these giant juicy looking apples on that tree out there, you think, ah, it's a good tree, I mean, it's a healthy tree. You see a nasty one with worms all over it and it's all decayed and hanging over sideways and it's got nasty fruit you think oh that's not a good tree you know i don't want to eat eat off that tree each tree is known by its fruit your life is known by the fruit of your life you brood of vipers he's talking to these pharisees how can you being evil speak what is good if you're if you're a bad tree how can you produce good fruit for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart the things that people say all the time, that's an, that's an indicator of their heart, of the reality of their life. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So he just comes out all the time, every day. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. So he's saying every careless words, I mean every careless word, I mean, I mean, that's down to, you know, I mean, grinding to the smallest bit of a person's life. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. I mean, he, what Jesus is saying here is that our, the things that we say repeatedly on an everyday basis will be an accurate indicator on the day of judgment as to whether we were saved or not. I mean, that really is true. It really is true. Now, I want to be clear here. And just, just so there's no false ideas, you cannot be saved by your deeds. You cannot be saved by being a good person or by trying to do, do all these things. But those who have been saved by Jesus freely, by his grace, will always evidence a changed life that is distinguishable between the ungodly life. There is the righteous man and there is the wicked man. And both are real. I'm not saying that the righteous is perfect, but I am saying that their life is totally different than it once was. And it is, it, it is millions of miles. I mean, there, I think Brother Charles has said this before. There is more reality in a righteous person's prayer of repentance if they sin and they confess it to God. I mean, than a lifetime of a lost religious person, all their babbling and all their, you know, you know beating themselves up and to make themselves feel better. I mean, there's more reality in one confession of a righteous person. Of, of true the true fruit of righteousness of a contrite heart a broken heart before God you know I mean than a lifetime of a hypocrite so it is real we, we are going to be judged based upon our deeds the things we said the things that we did so what will it be like for you I mean I, I've said that you're going to be there um, what will it be like for you what will it be like for me and to that I would say this that it depends it depends on if you're lost or if you're saved and I, and I want to start with the lost. I want to say to the lost here, if you know you're not right with God, if you know you're, you're still holding on to sin, there are things that you, you're in your heart you're saying, I will not let go of. I'm going to hold on to this sin. I love this sin. I'm not going to let it go. It's mine. I have a right to it. If, if that's you, this day will be terrible 
beyond your imagination. I mean, do you remember when you were a kid, just the feeling of when you got caught? I mean, some of you are kids. You know that terrible feeling. You did something wrong. You've tried to cover it up or hide it. But mom or dad come, and, and they investigate it, and they get down. They start questioning you, and then finally you break, and you start crying. You say, yeah, I did do this or that. I mean, that terrible feeling of guilt, like you, you know you've done it, and you're getting caught. You're getting found out for it. I mean, multiply that times 10 billion, because that's what it's going to be like standing before God. I mean, it will be horrible beyond degree. Jonathan Edwards says that there will be such shrieks, such cries, such wailing, such contorted faces. I mean, people that have lived their whole life with a haughty countenance of pride and thinking they had it all together, I mean, it will be stripped from them immediately before God. I mean, they will be humbled to the nth degree as all these things are brought out of all the sin of their life. I mean, nice church, church-going type people that had been, quote-unquote, serving God all their life, to get what they deserve from God. I mean, they were doing it to earn salvation or to earn favor. It was all built on self-righteousness. I mean, the horror, the shock of, of it being exposed, the hypocrisy, the lie, the sin. All will be brought out in the open. All will be brought out into the light. And then they'll hear the words, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I mean, that's the last thing they'll hear. So all, all I have to say to you is if you're lost, um, you should fear God. You should fear the Lord because this day is coming for you and you should get right with God now so that this day is not a terrible day for you, so that you are saved. How about for the believer? What, what, what does this day of judgment look like for the believer? Should the believer look forward to this day? Or should we be terrified of it? You know, some preachers make it sound like, and even some good, you know, they have a lot of good things to say. They make it sound like uh, the day of judgment for the believer is basically like God is waiting to finally get them. You know, I mean, he's finally going to, he's finally going to um, berate them for all of their failings. You know, I mean, that's kind of the idea you get, like you should have done more of this and you should have done more of that and you should have done more of this. And, and um, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's biblical. Um, it. I don't think that's what it will be like for the believer. I think it will be a day of great solemnity, but also a day of great joy. I mean, in the Bible, the whole tenor of the Bible is people are waiting for this. The Christians are waiting for this. They're waiting for the day of judgment. They're waiting for Christ to return and usher in his kingdom. They want it to happen. They want the judge to come and put an end to all evil. I mean, they, the, you know, it, it speaks many times of God coming to vindicate them and to condemn the wicked. In other words... Uh, for the believer, I believe primarily it's a day when God is going to bring to light all of the good fruit in their life. And it's not a day of condemnation. It's not a day of punishment. John 5.24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. So what does that mean? I mean, the, the believer's got to come to judgment, but he's not going to come into judgment. I think it means condemnation, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, they're not, God's not bringing you before his throne in order to condemn you or to judge you. You've been acquitted already. The moment you believed, you were acquitted. You have eternal life. 
So the weakest saint need not fear any condemnation from God. I mean, I've known some people that are so, they are very hard on themselves in this life in terms of all they see are their bad deeds, you know, I mean, their failings or whatever. And it's like you're on the outside looking at their life and you see all this reality and humility and sacrifice and service. And um, I mean, what's the day going to be like for them? I think they're going to be shocked, you know, because they've had these harsh views of God all their life that he's, he's, he's going to berate me or he's coming to get me. And it's like they're going to shine like the sun, you know, in the kingdom of their father. And God's going to bring to light all the reality that they couldn't see themselves, those that were hardest on themselves. So it will be a day of bringing all the good fruit to light. There's another name, or there's another book that um, John mentions. He mentions the book of life. So if your name is written in that book, those that have had faith in Christ, it's like, yeah, their name's here. They're in the book of life. All their hidden prayer, their fastings, their gifts, their sacrifices, their endurance, their sufferings, their service, their humility, all of that's going to be brought out. I mean, God, God is going to show just what glorious things he has wrought in the believer's life. And he's going to show it before the whole world. I mean, the very people that, you know, I mean, wicked people were killing and mocking and hating and accusing of all these things. I mean, not, not only the wicked are going to be exposed, but the righteous are going to be exposed. You know, I mean, it's going to be shown that they were real. They really did love God. They weren't hypocrites. You know, they were in the bottom of their heart. They did love Jesus. They were following him though they failed many times. So I think it will be a day of reward. And actually, if you turn to Revelation chapter 11, it actually says this in here. (coughs) To be fair, the Bible does make it clear, and I think everything will be brought to light, including the believer's sins, but I do not believe it is for the purpose of condemnation. And Wayne Grudem said that even this, these sins that will be brought to light, um, will give occasion for glorifying God for his mercy, that God has passed over all these things on their, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Christ. But here in Revelation um, chapter 11, in verse 18, it says, And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, And the time came for the dead to be judged. So it's the same day. And the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. So he says, the time came for God's wrath to come, to judge the wicked, but on the other hand, and to reward your bondservants, your saints, those who fear your name, the small and the great. So, I mean, I think the Bible does present it mainly as a positive thing for the believer. And at the end of all of it, uh, you'll hear the words, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I mean, two totally different realities, right? One, One group of people, they're being told, Depart from me, cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels that's going to be some of you no doubt you should fear god you should fear the lord i fear for some of you but for many of you come come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world all right back in revelation 20 
it will be final. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. What, what does that mean? Death and Hades or death and hell? Or how does, you know, how does this make sense that they're thrown into the lake of fire? I think, I think what he's saying is that the old order is gone. Dying is done. There is no more dying. There is no more second chances. That, that's, that's done away with. And now we're at, we're at the fixed state. We're at the final state. There'll be no turning back. There'll be no second chances. Once the day of judgment, once God has brought everything to light and brought everyone before him, it's over. There is, no, there is no more death. So a few final thoughts here. Why is God determined to have this day? Have you all ever thought about that? I mean, people die, they go straight to heaven or straight to hell as it is right now, right? Until they're raised bodily and they're brought before God on the day of judgment. I mean, it seems like, you know, what, what's the need of this? You know, I mean, what's the purpose of this? And I think the purpose of it is this. Right now, it's secret. A person dies, and a lot of times, you, you know, people have no idea where they went. You know, I mean, in terms of the general, just general knowledge of man, um, it's secret. You know, God has judged them or He's rewarded them already, but it's secret. But this is a day when it's going to be public, and it's going to be bodily, and it's going to be before all people, before all men. Louis Burkhoff said this. He says it will serve the purpose rather of displaying before all rational creatures, before angels, before men, the declarative glory of God in a formal forensic act, so in his act of justice or his act of mercy, which magnifies on the one hand his holiness and righteousness and on the other hand his grace and his mercy. So in other words, God, God is having this day to display his glory, right? I mean, it's to show the whole world that God is right and man is wrong, Right? I mean that they, they all these wicked people had all these accusations against God. How did God let this happen? How could God let do this? Or I don't like how God did this in my life. And I mean, it will be made plain as day that God is God and they are not. That God is right and they're wrong. And that God is, you know, I mean, one of the greatest complaints against God is the fact that He's going to put people in hell. Right? I mean, people hate that doctrine. They despise that doctrine. They'll do anything to escape that doctrine. Um, but, I mean, everyone is going to know when God passes sentence, he's 100% right. And he should be worshipped and glorified as God, as the righteous judge. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yeah, he shall. He will. And everybody's going to know it. The whole world will, be, will, will become accountable to God and all, everyone, everyone's mouth will be stopped. There will be no excuses that day. And... So God will be justified on that day, but also, like I said earlier, the righteous will be justified. They're going to be publicly vindicated. I mean, think of in church history how many times it was the state, you know, they were enemies of the state, or they were had all these false accusations laid against them as to the reason why martyrs were put to death. I mean, they're going to be vindicated. God is going to own them on that day and show everybody, no, you know, I mean, there's been so many twisted things. You think even of church splits where the truth never really comes out and, you know, like, well, who was right? It's all going to be brought to light on that day. I mean, those that were with, that were walking with God in those situations that were maligned or hated or whatever, I mean, it's going to be brought out and God's going to be honored and they're going to be honored. God's going to honor them. So what are some applications for this? 
Number one, knowing that all of us are going to come and appear before Christ, the judge of all men, it should destroy hypocrisy, right? I mean, it should destroy. I mean, we should fear hypocrisy. I fear hypocrisy. I don't want to act one way at church and act another way at work. You know, I don't want to act one way at church and another way at home because everything's going to be brought to light one day. I don't want to act one way around my wife and then one way when I'm alone away from my wife. I want it to be the same all across the board, right? That we're living under the eye of God with a clean, with a clear conscience, a clean conscience. Are you hiding any sins? Are you holding on to any sins that you know your conscience condemns it, you know it's wrong, but you're still doing it? You should throw it away from it. You should get rid of it. You should uncover it now before God and ask for his cleansing, ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his help. Ask for other Christians' help if need be. Because God's going to uncover it then. And the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It should put a fear of God in our hearts. Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. Why, Paul? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one of us must give an account for the deeds done in our body, whether good or bad. You know, he talked multiple times about each man's praise coming to him from God. You know, So, I mean, it should put a right, it's not the prime motivation of the Christian life, but it is a motivation in the Christian life for living holy, living knowing that we're going to appear before the righteous judge and king. It should give us a peace that all accounts will be balanced. Everything's going to be settled. I mean, you watch the news, I mean, it is disturbing, you know, I mean, to, to hear what goes on in the world, and a lot of times maybe we shouldn't even listen to it. Um, but, I mean, you just get this feeling that evil is winning somehow, you know, or that the church is so small and insignificant or weak, and you have these mighty world forces. I mean, the presidential election, you've got two wicked people running for president. You know, I mean, what can the church do? But, I mean, just this idea, I mean, that, you know, evil's winning, but it's not the case. I mean, God's going to have this day, and he's going to win. I mean, he's, no one's going to get away with anything. Everything is going to be exposed. Everything will be brought to light. God will deal with it all justly one day. You know, a lot of people say, how could God, you know, if God is real, how could he let such and such happen? You know, I could never, I could never worship that God. But, I mean, it's going to be made clear, his righteousness, his justice on that day. And finally, in terms of application, we should prepare for the day of judgment. You kids, do you prepare for tests? Do you prepare for those things? I mean, do you study for those things? Do you get ready for those things? I mean, you get, you're going to get your driver's license. Do you just get it all of a sudden, or do you have to prepare for it before you all of a sudden start driving by yourself? I mean, we prepare for anything and everything in this life. What about the day of judgment? I mean, you should prepare because it's coming. It's more certain. You may or may not get your driver's license. You may or not live to be age 16. But you're going to be here for this one, right? We've got, we have a tract over here that says, an appointment you will keep. You're going to keep this appointment. It's God's appointment. He's going to make sure that you're there. Matthew Henry said this, Let it be our great concern to see on what terms we stand with our Bibles, whether they justify or condemn us now, for the judge of all will proceed by that rule. And just to think, you know, I mean, we ought to examine our life now, right, in light of Scripture and say, what is my life? Am I bearing good fruit? 
Do I love the Lord? Is there any sin that I'm holding on to in my life? Am I walking in the light as he is in the light? Or am I holding on to some area of darkness or of unrepentance? You know, am I still rebelling against God and, and refusing to let him be God and king of my life? Chet, you should, you should examine yourself now. You should do business with God now. You should come to Christ now. Surrender to him now before this day comes. Well, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we think of what Dick was saying just about standing in awe of God. Lord, And um, Lord, all men should stand in awe of you, the, the righteous judge, the holy judge of all men. And um, Lord, we pray that you'd give us a sense of reality of that, Lord, we just have a few more days on this earth, and really it's nothing. Lord, it's a drop in the bucket, and, and then we'll be here. We'll be what John saw in this vision, standing before the throne. and uh, Lord, I just pray, I pray for the lost that are here, any, any that are um, unconverted, Lord, that you'd be working in them. I pray you'd convict them. I pray you'd show them their sin. I pray that they would do business with you now and not, not then, Lord. And I pray for the believer, Lord, just that we would live in light of this great day, even as we interact with those around us, Lord. And, um, just have more of a sense of reality, Lord. We pray help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.